Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode five now, really hitting our strides. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening and thank you everyone that subscribed so far. Um, your feedback's been amazing and we're really having a blast doing this. Yeah, we had a lot of feedback from the Q&A episode we did last week and yeah. I think we've hopefully got more questions coming in. Yep, and keep them coming um, either via Facebook or Instagram or realtrailtalk at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and get some discussion topics going. Definitely. So episode five... We're hitting the uh, the much-awaited Billman Track podcast. Um, this won't be an entire Billman Track podcast. It, we're just going to cover off the Darling Scarp section. So yes. we'll be doing each kind of map um, section by section and just discussing what we like about it, what we don't like, experiences, fun stories. Let's, uh, let's start at Kalamunda, yep. which is the famous start point, which the Northern Terminus has just been upgraded. What are your thoughts on uh, the upgrade, Don? I think it's really nice. I think that they've done a really good job because that's been the same... I think it's basically been the same since the track first opened, the original 1970s version. Mm. So it, especially next to the the Southern Terminus, it was starting to look a bit its age. Mm. What I like is that they've kept a lot of those old elements, but they've built around it in a way that accentuates the kind of um, indigenous history of, of the Bibbleman track and makes it a lot more attractive as a starting point for a trail. Yeah, so I mean, for a thousand kilometre trail, it was a bit underwhelming <laughs> yeah. to start opposite, which is basically a Coles car park. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, with a couple of wooden posts stuck in the ground and like a fairly stock standard information board about what the trail was and what to expect. So I, I really like the upgrade and adding the Aboriginal heritage elements into there has really kind of livened up the area. And I like that they have the linking trail to the Perth Hills Visitor Centre. And I think they have, they have, don't they have a bell there or something where you can hit it to kind of have the, you know, the American through hiker, I've finished the trail ding on the bell. It's certainly nicer than just finishing at a picnic table and then waiting to be picked up. So I like what they've done and, you know, appreciate that they've put a little bit of money into it. Yes, definitely. So from there, the trail has a weird kind of, you know, you start this trail like, yes, I'm going to get into this, going to go on a wilderness walk. And then it goes back to a street, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I remember the first time I did this and you're just like, oh, yeah, first 50 meters, you're walking down. You're like, I'm on the Billman. And then you just arrive at this kind of hairpin bend and there's no markers anywhere. And you're just like, oh, is that it? Have I done the thousand <laughs> kilometers? Is that, you know? And then you wander down and get Spring Street. Like it's just road walking, which is not ideal. But then you see Billman track famous red wooden marker and pointing you into the bush and you're like right that's that's where i want to be yeah and from then on out it's actually the first section is very enjoyable and quite difficult in yeah. terms of the terrain um that you get um yeah because it well it runs through georgeson park which is always good because you get to see dogs. Yep, and it's one of the few places on the track where you can have dogs. Yes, but then once you hit Kalamunda National Park, I mean, you still see dogs, which is not really allowed, but um, is it Piercebrook, is that? Piercebrook's part of Kalamunda National Park, and there shouldn't be dogs there, but there very often are dogs there. Mm. But the downhill, like, rocky section next to the brook, that is Pierce Brook, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah, that is. Yeah. I can never find a name on a map, but I was pretty sure it's Pierce Brook. And that's actually 
like if you're starting an end-to-end you've got so much in that kind of first five kilometers to look at and stop at you know you'd be wondering when am i ever going to get to (laughs) yeah you know proper trail pace Um, but yeah it's in terms of scenery it's quite nice i love that bit when you're in just leaving Jorgensen Park and entering Kalamunda National Park and you get to look across the hills mm. and it just is a really beautiful sight to see, especially when you've you know you've come from this road walk and this park which was an old golf course yeah. and suddenly you see, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is the, out, uh, you know, the Australian bush mm. and then you descend through that, that gully with all the huge granite boulders. You know, I think, when I think of the, the Darling Scarp area, that's, the sort of iconic site that you see throughout the whole thing is these huge granite boulders. Yeah, and there is the one kind of halfway down Pierce Brook that has a giant tree and it looks like the tree is supporting the granite boulders. <laughs> yeah. If you look closely, I think it's really just just growing up and gotten used to the, the boulders being there. Yeah. yeah, I certainly agree. That view is quite spectacular, especially at sunrise as you get the sun peeking over either the hills in the distance or clouds. And you can kind of, once you've done it a few times, plot where you're meant to go for the day it's quite an enjoyable spot Mm, definitely then i think one of the things that is a weird unmarked thing in this area is that it goes past rocky pool Mm. which is only you know what 500 meters off the track if that i think it's only one or 200 i think it's very far and it's probably like a 500 return if even that you Mm. say it might only be a 200 return yeah and that's a really nice site it's kind of a pool with a waterfall Yeah, kind of a set of rapids leading into a, like a circular pool. Um, it did used to be the town's swimming pool up until they got a, a concrete version. Mm. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to... Because it's only really full in winter and spring. Yeah. It'd have to be a very warm day in spring to get me <laughs> swimming in there. <laughs> but as you say, it's a quite a nice diversion. It's just a shame it's not really marked because for two or 400 metres... Yeah, the payoff is yeah. definitely worth the side trip. Yeah. And then I guess you ascend through Jarrah Forest and a bit of Wandu through there. Yeah, I actually enjoyed because it's quite a steep climb um, down from the the valley there. I actually enjoy that climb quite a bit. And before it got burnt out, not last year, the year before, mm. yeah, it was really thick. And kind of now you can see a bit more into the distance, but before it was more of a closed in feel quite enjoy and then you kind of go past down and then into another valley and it's kind of like a a channel kind of Mm. drawing you in um, as you ascend up and there's yeah granite either side and some very nice wandu forest there's that massive wandu tree i think it's a wandu tree it's very golden as you kind of hit the very top of that hill yeah and isn't your uh, favorite phallic rock formation along this stretch as yes well? uh, it has many names i just like to call it cock rock <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think if you don't find that funny there is something wrong with you because <laughs> from like, as you approach it from the north it's you know it doesn't really look like anything and you give it a second look and yeah yeah you, <laughs> you just snigger <laughs> it's funny <laughs> the the resemblance is uncanny <laughs> yes and i do enjoy that uh Whoever designed the trail decided, yep, we're definitely we going straight past this. <laughs> um, uh, and also another major sight of this is that you see for the first time up close the Great Powerline Road. Soon to be named. I think it's 2025. It will open as the Donovan D'Souza Trail. <laughs> um, my wife and I have a joke that 
Why why even bother with the Bibberman? Just walk straight down Powerline Road all the way to Collie. Yeah. It'll probably be the dullest trail ever. <laughs> but it'll be the most direct trail ever. It will. Yeah, touch wood. If anything actually happens to you, I will walk that trail for you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I'll, find, I'll go berry water and I'll do it. Kalamunda to Collie <laughs> in one long stretch. Yes, I hope I hope that the power lines don't have any negative health effects. Yeah, but... I'll probably be joining you very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after the power lines, that's where it. it you, I know there's always that that bit where people get lost. I don't. I've never been lost there, but people always seem to get lost there. Where there's that sign where it joins the Windjan track, and there's the old Bibbleman. Yeah, it is. At that intersection, quite confusing. Um, well, it used to be anyway. I think it's probably marked now. Yeah, I think enough people had that happen to them. Yeah. Because we'd always end up at the Kalamunda farm and people would say, I don't know how I got here. Yeah. But I'm back on the track now, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so the, the camel farm, also another highlight um, here. It's kind of a bit weird in that camels don't really exist. <laughs> In nature, I mean, they are wild up north, but it's it's weird to have camels pop out of the bush every now and then while you're on the Billman. Mm. But it is a very popular spot for the mountain bikers because it does kind of, it's central to all of their trails and it is getting quite busy now where they've got overflow car parks and yeah, a raging business that's probably not related to camels. Yeah, they're more a cafe than a camel business these days, I think, because yeah. the cafe's always packed. And for those that are lactose intolerant, the camel's milk lattes. Oh, I didn't know that. Very good for you. Are they as salty as they say? Never tried. Um, We had a group hike out there and, um, yeah, they did offer us shots of camel's milk, but I did not partake. Right. Um, It is meant to be an aphrodisiac too, so Mm. bring a date along on your hike and, you know, top them up with camel's milk (laughs) and who knows what might happen. Uh, but yeah, moving on from there, the, you come across the first campsite of the, the trail, which is Hewitt's Hill. So it's about what, eight kilometers in. Yeah, about there, I think. And it's a very pleasant um, spot up on the hill. I like that they've kind of considered where would be a nice place to have um, one of the shelters. And I think Hewitt's Hill, if it wasn't so close to the start, I think you know, I'd probably stay there a lot more. But only being eight kilometers in, I wouldn't see why you, as an end-to-ender you would stay there. Yeah, I guess the only thing that's good about it being so close, and I think that it's something that is a really strong aspect of the Bibbulmun track in this early part, mm. is that the huts are really only 10 k's apart on average. They're, they're very close together, which is really good if you're a beginner. One of the things a lot of people say is that, oh, am I going to be fit enough? Do you think I can do it? Well, the first few days, you could take it easy going to do single shelters rather than double, double hutting. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, some other trails are a bit challenging, that the, the huts are quite far apart or the shelters are quite far apart. But basically all the way up until Canning, I think, mm. they're all quite close together, which makes it easier for you. If, if you if you are fit, you can, dub, you can double hut. If mm. not, there's a shelter only 10Ks apart. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the times that I've been there, it's a very popular spot for scouts groups as well. Um, mm. You always see like, you know, 12 to 15 year old kids hiking with their big packs on. Um, and there's, there's quite a lot of room there for for groups, you know, 
and you can hike in from basically anywhere so you can do the mundaring you can do south ledge you can do camel farm or you can come all the way from kalamunda it's mm. yeah a very versatile shelter and i've um, seen people with with like babies or toddlers do it mm. because it's not too far to get to so if you really you know you need to get out into the wild and you don't want to stop doing it yeah it's the perfect place to get out there and ex- experience the trail if you are a young family exactly yeah great hut <laughs> and then from there it's the to the golden lookout is that right yeah so the golden lookout so there's a nice four by four track that you follow and you're kind of up above the valley um, which is helena valley now that it's all burnt out because of the prescribed burns, you can see Mundaring Weir and Lake Seaway O'Connor a lot clearer for a lot of it. And it is a nice stretch to it's flat or downhill. So you can stretch your legs out, go at your own pace. And, you know, there's always something to look at on the trail. And I think this is a nice um, elevated position to, to hike from. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's nice that they've made the Mundaring Weir precinct an important part of this early section of the Bibbulmun because mm. because C.Y. O'Connor was quite an important character in Western Australian history, having done quite a lot of work for things like the Fremantle Port, the railway line to the goldfields, and, of course, the, the pipeline, which Mundaring Weir provides water for. Exactly, and it's quite a sad kind of history um, around... If you look into C.Y. O'Connor a little bit more... He kind of didn't get to live out to see everything prosper the way that he planned. Um, he had a lot of doubters in his time, and that caused him to commit suicide, I think. Yeah, he did. Which just goes to show how out of place he was for his time, that his genius wasn't recognized for what it was. For sure. And I think, But I think it is nice that they've put a statue of him. Like when you cross the weir, the other side, they have a statue of him overlooking his masterwork mm. that unfortunately was not recognized in his time. Yeah. And we get on to one of the, the highlights of this section of the track, another highlight. Yes. The Mundaring Weir Hotel. Yeah. I think if you're there on a Sunday, it's the perfect place to stop in if you're trying to pick your, pick where you want to finish the track yep. for a day hike. Mm. The best place. Yeah. Certainly, it does actually doesn't matter which time of Sunday you plan to stop there because I did a hike recently i was like i've got some spare time i'll do calamander to mundaring we're in back and i was trying to plan it so i could go slow enough that i get the lunch and i was just like hang on i'm sure they do breakfast on a sunday <laughs> so i checked the menu i was like oh yeah they do it looks amazing so i sped up and got there for breakfast but sundays in winter they do the spit roast so if you're not a vegetarian you can go i think it starts at about three um, and you can see the, normally I think it's like a pig or a lamb on the mm. spit and you can see it in a, a, quite a large area um, for the kids to play in. And They've got the massive amphitheater. Yeah, a basketball hoop, which I enjoyed beating Aaron at horse <laughs> in. Thanks for that, Aaron. Yeah, and just you can kind of plonk yourself wherever and there's a few kind of ideal areas depending on what you want. You can either get away from everyone or you can be right in the thick of it. Um, it's just a nice garden area. Um, staff are great. Food's great. Um, they do need to change their posters a little bit because Casey Chambers is still playing in March 2016, <laughs> if you're interested. As well as uh, Jimmy Barnes and Leo Sayer, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a fantastic place to stop. And the locals certainly love the area and love going there as well. Mm, I think if I was doing an end-to-end um, either direction, I would 
not stay at Ball Creek or Hewitt's Hill, I would book myself in for a night at Mundaringwe Hotel. Yeah, I think I, I maybe wouldn't if I was heading south, but certainly heading north, it would be a nice place to stop because it's, I think it's a lot better than the next campsite at Ball Creek. Mm, which is, uh, yeah, good good segue. Um, so Ball Creek, which is, what, four kilometres from Mundaringwe Hotel, it's quite a short distance. And if you park at the Perth Hills Discovery Centre, which is only what a kilometer down the track as well it's kind of one of those awkward huts where you would only stay there if you were maybe doing an end-to-end in terms of campsites in the area it's not one of the better ones no i think it's it's not too bad in late winter early spring and there's a nice library there there was at least the last time we were there yeah but there there are nicer campsites especially the next three i think from here are Exactly, and that's what you're always going to compare them to. Do I stay there or do I continue on and stay at um, yeah one of the next three? But I actually don't mind the area. I like that it's kind of open with a lot of trees, so there's a bit of shelter. As you said, there's a library. I learned how to be a celebrity influencer when we stayed there um, <laughs> one time. Yeah, so watch out for me on the influencing <laughs> trail soon. But yeah, I mean, as you said, late winter, early spring um, is probably the best time if you're going to stay there. Because then there actually is a ball creek flowing. Yeah. Other times of the year, it's bone dry. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't notice it unless... Is there like a boardwalk over it, isn't there? Or you just... There is. It's like a, a little thing, you know. It's, yeah. It's if that much. wasn't there, I probably wouldn't realize that that's a creek. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think that the next section from there is one of my favorite parts of the of the entire Bilberman track from, from there onwards to basically all the way to Mount Wells. I love that area. Yeah. Next campsite coming up is Helena, which is the first of the campsites that overlooks. It's not really Lake Siwa-Econa, but it's the imprint of the lake and the valley there. Yeah, the Helena Valley. Yeah, and the the hike to get out there is actually quite nice as well. Um, There's a few kind of lush valleys that you go through, um, Mm. a couple of now racist um racistly named (laughs) (laughs) creeks in the chinaman's gully and lots of wandu for us which i know you enjoy yeah i love wandu i think it's the carry of the north in terms of smooth bark it it doesn't have that burnt you know jarrah just just like absorbs burns (laughs) and just keeps on and just holds on to those burns for years and years to come whereas wandu you know they have they have a control burn through a few years later it looks fine yeah and also, it, it seems to have a much less dense understory. It tends to be very open. Yeah, because it is found on, like, the ridges and the, the hilly parts. So I guess, yeah, undergrowth wouldn't... Like, you wouldn't notice it at much because there's hills. But going back to Jarrah and Wandu, mm. would you say Jarrah would be more like a cat? You harm it once, it's going to hold a grudge forever. <laughs> whereas Wandu is like a puppy, whereas you could probably kick it or hit it. And it would still love you forever. Is that a good analogy? Yeah, I, I guess. I don't think I would ever ever kick or hit a puppy. But no, neither would yeah. I. Just for the record, I love, I love my dogs. Yeah. But I, I know what you're, you're saying. That it's, it is one of those things where I think Wandu likes to give back more. Jara just doesn't give back. No. It's very, very... No, I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> I, I share your, your... Not your hatred, but your dislike for the it, it makes nice furniture. I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think what what makes this section really lovely is that there's all the granite outcrops, views over the valley, and all this lovely wandu everywhere. It really makes for 
engaging and enjoyable walking throughout the whole length. Mm, I agree, because it's what, 11Ks from the Perth Hills Discovery Center to Helena. So it's a good there and back overnight hike if you're just got a weekend or a couple of days. And it's, yeah, certainly one of the more popular shelters on the trail. Yeah. And they just have upgraded the tent sites. Oh, have they? Yeah, I tested that out ooh, a couple of months ago. And there's now a few dotted up on the hill that are quite nice. And if you get there first and Didier is not there, you can sleep on Didier's Ridge, which yes. is just below the shelter on the, the granite outcrop there. And he loves the platform overlooking. He the, does. Yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to see why. I mean, you've got great views, sunset and sunrise. Mm. And it's not too far from the shelter yep. um, when you need to cook and fill up with water. Yeah. But I think... Personally, my favourite of all the huts along this this stretch is Wallach. That's my favourite of the whole lot there. Yes, um, and using the pronou- uh, correct pronunciation as well. It's yes. like you look at it the first time, and I used to say Wale. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> it is W E A A L E G H. But yeah, Wallach is the correct term for it. And yeah, I agree. Like it's one of the best shelters set up for the sunset definitely and it just has a nice vibe to it yeah it's an important one because it was the first of the new shelters that was open to the public and mm. it's got a plaque with richard court was there to open it yeah and you can see why they used it in so much of the early promo photos especially if you're there at sunset it just glows in orange mm. there's beautiful spots for tents there there's benches looking over the valley it's just lovely yeah, certainly. Last time I was there, kind of hiked in on my own, and there was a lot of people there just enjoying it, and everyone was really friendly. But when it came to sunset, it was kind of nobody talked to each other, but in a good way. Mm. We are all having dinner, and um, one lady just went and sat on one of the benches there overlooking, and I went and sat near her, and it's just that kind of don't speak, let's just enjoy kind of feel to it. It's, yeah. just, it's a very nice, nice place, and I hate saying it's a nice place all the time but you know you, you can't go wrong with with wallets at all yeah when we've done other sections of the track i think before you get to maybe the south coast which is quite spectacular a lot of people said to us that oh favorite campsite was was Wallach because of the views and they said you know they compared they started comparing other campsites to us every time they mm-hmm. came to one that they really liked it was always yes but is it as good as that one and very often, no, because it really is one of the best. And it always surprises me, you've never been to this, these areas, and you live in Perth and you see it, that this area that is so close to Perth is, to me, one of the better parts of the whole track. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much to offer there. And that particular campsite, to me, is sort of par excellence for representing the Perth area. And I think part of its appeal as well is it's 20Ks from either access point to get there. So mm. it's not like you can hear cars or trucks or whatever and you actually have to, you can't just visit on a day, stay there and then go out without, you know, carrying all your stuff with you. So it is a hard effort to get there, but it is worth it. Um, and you kind of only really get the serious hikers visit yeah, there because it is a challenge to get to there's no road access so no road access and it is quite hilly either direction to get to too mm. 
And the next campsite is, I think, the the poor cousin of <laughs> of the previous two. It's similar, but eh, it's not as nice. It is. Like, I never planned to stay there. At Bear King? Yeah, or hashtag Bear King, as someone has written <laughs> on, the, on the camp. So I always call it Bear King just because I saw that the first time I was there. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, now lost its appeal to me as well even more because with the prescribed burns that have just happened last summer they decided they would burn all the way up to the the Ooh. campsite and i i i know they have their reasons but i just i don't understand why you have to ruin that area just leave a 50 meter corridor or a 20 meter corridor around the track yeah because um, yeah it's going to take a long time probably five to ten years for that area to fully recover but they want to have a six-year cycle so it'll be burnt yeah before. so it'll probably be burnt before um, and it's yeah I, I totally agree with you I, I i completely support doing it if you have to but i feel like it's so indiscriminate sometimes that it ruins that sort of tourism aspect of it i think mm. that there needs to be a nice line between yes you want to prevent the a fuel buildup but also you need to make it worthwhile for people and, and sometimes it's it's this bleakness that I, I know people from over east have come here and they said oh that's a bit bleak isn't it mm. because of how burnt it is and that area there, I remember when I walked it with you, what was it, last last year? And I found it a bit dull even then, some of the sections nearer to, to Berriking. Yeah. But I can imagine it being worse now, because I, I remember it just being, oh yeah, it's just Jarrah Forest. But now it's burnt Jarrah Forest, which is that extra step of, you know, making it less enjoyable for people who are walking a very long way. Yeah, um, yeah. a couple of years after a, a burn-off, I don't mind the area because it does start to get a bit green, but one argument that I've heard against um, prescribed burns is you're essentially adding more fuel each time you're doing these burn-offs because the regrowth is quite thick so if you're not giving it a chance to kind of settle down and grow out a little bit all you're doing every six years is adding a lot more fuel to the area and you keep having to do it and it's just a vicious cycle so i'd like to see them not be as aggressive and i know they've probably got a lot of public pressure and we'll get onto another podcast with this for this specific topic but mm. yeah especially i think with the Ruruna and the north cliff fires they've kind of been doubling down on all the prescribed burns they've been doing yeah but back to barracking, or hashtag barracking. Yeah, I mean, it's still nicely positioned up on the, the ridge, but I don't think it has that. Like, the overall camp area doesn't have that same magic as Helena or Wallach. For sure, yeah. I don't know. It's, just, it's hard to describe why it's not as good as the other two. I think the valley views as well are less magical. Mm. That's definitely, I think, the big thing for me. And just the... The tent sites just don't look as exciting as the other places. Yeah, especially because, I mean, you'd really only stay there if you wanted to hike 10Ks for the day from Dale Road or you were doing an end-to-end and didn't want to stop every 10 kilometers to stay at every shelter. So, I mean, it's not, not a place I would deliberately stay at, as I said. But, I mean, it's still still a nice area. Yeah. The next campsite's probably less exciting. Do you, are you a fan of Mount Dale? I actually love Mount Dale. Oh, really? Yeah. I've, like, I've never stayed there, but I have visited early morning and late afternoon. I like that it's underneath Mount Dale. Yeah. Like you get to see, I mean, Mount Dale's not a big, big mountain, but at least that kind of shadow is looming there. I kind of mm. like 
jokingly in Lord of the Rings speak like in you know in the shadows of Mount Dale <laughs> that's how I think of it but it's in like a, a thickish area of bush and I am quite happy it did survive the 2015 fires in that area yeah because otherwise it would probably not be as spectacular have you have you did you stay at Mount Dale no I've visited it two or three times actually and I, I think I've always just wait a minute no I have stayed there <laughs> Back in 2004, we stayed at Mount Dale, okay. and it was, yeah, it was okay. It was it was a nice nice spot. It's better. We we were walking from Brookton to Kalamunda, mm. and there's no point in stopping at Brookton. Mm. So we stayed at Mount Dale, and it was it was good. I, that's all I can remember yeah. of it. You know, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was 13 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to Mount Dale itself. It's weird that, like, there is a trail that goes around a Mount Dale circuit, but it's not, like, a sign saying Mount Dale this way. You kind of have to know it's there in order to do it as a side trail. Yes. Um, so I think that probably may need addressing, again, same as Rocky Pool, because it is quite nice up there if you don't get yobbos in their four-wheel drives drinking and blaring music and throwing their bottles everywhere and yeah. graffitiing. Um, yeah, especially at sunrise. Like, if I was staying at Mount Dale campsite, I would definitely want to hike up there for the sunrise. Mm. There's, and there's a nice lookout just there. That, mm. You know, makes it really worth the effort. Yeah, and one that you can drive up there basically to the summer, which is whether or not it's a good thing is depending on who uses it. Mm. Yeah, it's just like Mount Randall, which is coming up. It's a bit weird that the trail doesn't just go up there. I mean, mm. it is a, a fairly heavy climb from Berriking. So the extra 80 metres vertically probably maybe didn't entice the, the trail developers when they were building it. Mm. But as a side trip, you know, it would be something you can knock off quite quickly, leave your packs at the trail junction or something, walk mm. up there, come back, and it, if, especially if you're just single hiding, you know, why not? Yeah, exactly. And then kind of from Mount Dale onwards, kind of get into this kind of open scrappy Jarrah area that's kind of not terribly interesting the 2015 fires kind of certainly put their mark on this area yeah for the worse um, it was okay immediately after the fire because i think we both independently did this like right after it was yeah burned. and i was amazed i was like wow aussie bush like it's pink and it's orange and it's red and it's amazing now i think it's probably going to be a little bit of a green i haven't visited this specific area since no once you get well, it's maybe two or three kilometres past Mount Dale and it kind of opens up a little bit. Mm. Um, and this is one section that I've not done all the way to Brookton Highway, so I'll have to get you to talk about it. So I've done this three times. Um, and the first time we did it, it was way before it was burnt and it looked really good. And the other time we did it, it was before the 2015 fires and it was already looking quite burnt. Mm. And I think there must have been a fire quite recently. And then... We did it in 2015 after the fires, and basically it's it's very badly scarred. Mm. And it, it was nice when we did it in the sense that the fact it was so burnt was kind of this stark and very different landscape that was almost sort of the desolation was beautiful in its own way. Mm. But I think that only lasts for a little while, and then after that it enters the sort of boring middle phase before it, it really becomes what it used to be. Yeah. I think we saw some car wrecks and some, some burnt, you know, a lot of burnt trees and some really interesting ones that you don't even know how they could possibly be still standing on that angle, given yeah. that you know most of the roots are burnt out. Yeah, because even Brookton Highway, 
the the campsite at Brookton is not a great place to stay because it's so close to the highway mm. and being wheelchair accessible while it's it's great that there's a wheelchair accessible campsite yeah it also means that anyone who has has wheels can get there yeah which is a big problem throughout the track yeah certainly i've never stayed there i think the novelty of brookton campsite now would be that it is the new style rammed earth shelter yeah Uh, was that the first one to be built in the new style yeah i think so yeah, so it has that going for it. So the the concept of the new new style of shelter is that in the event of a bushfire, essentially the walls and most of the structure will still be standing mm. and they'll just have to replace what some sheeting on the roof and the water tanks and that will be it um, instead of having to replace entire shelters from scratch, mm. which I'm not entirely convinced is a good thing because... They're not closed-in shelters, are they? Like no. the walls are only three quarters of the way to the roof. Um, there, there are back walls, mm-hmm. but the fronts are more open than than the because basically they're they're the same as the normal up huts except that they are made of rammed earth, mm. but they're a little bit more open. So where the normal up ones aren't as as exactly three sided as the others. Mm. It's a little bit more airy and open, which I think is fine. But yeah, it, it is a more open design for sure. It's more is that more definitely a shelter than some of the others. Yeah. So yeah, and, and moving on from there, we won't spend a whole lot of time on the Brookton campsite. Is the dodgy car park at Brookton Highway, which you can't really get away from. Like it's an access point under the power lines. That's really, if you want to go either way, kind of your only option. I've heard a lot of stories where people have had their cars broken into and there's a, a quite a bit of glass and just weird stuff around that campsite. A lot of garbage. Yeah, around that car park, yeah. Yeah, a lot of garbage just yeah. just piled in the gut. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, once you're away from the car park, maybe 100 metres, you wouldn't really notice anything. Mm. Um, and then on to kind of like a mini Sullivan Rock kind of poorer cousin again yeah um, how do you pronounce it Abyssinia 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 I think Abyssinia um, which I'm so perplexed as to where that name come from I can't find anything in my research as to why it's named that do you know why don't know my best is there's like a, a warship from World War 2 but it was American and I don't know so <laughs> if anyone is listening and knows why it's called that then definitely give us a shout and explain why I know mm. we've got a, a few knowledgeable listeners um, that have updated us on a few things so yeah please let us know but it is yeah another kind of granite sloping hill lots of moss um, lots of wildflowers and it does give views either side to Mount Dale yeah and then the other way to to Mount Vincent, Mount Cuthbert area. It's all right. It's just it's it's all, if I think if you were coming from Kalamunda and you saw it, you might mm-hmm. go, "Oh wow." But when I'd seen it, I'd already seen Sullivan Rock, so I was a bit like, "Oh yeah, this is all right." Yeah, same. And um yeah, again, Brie from Nature Mondays had been there before I hadn't pointed it out and her photos, she must have been in winter or spring cuz I went in autumn and it was just the moss was that orangey color. Oh, right. And it wasn't, it was like a really gray day, but it wasn't, it didn't feel wet as if it was going to rain. It was just that cold, windy, grayness, kind of dullish. Yeah, it was not 
a great place to photograph in those conditions <laughs> so that's yeah. what i was expecting and also having visited sullivan rock i was yeah spoiled by that experience mm. the walking from there as well to canning i think is it's, it's one of those like it's okay but not great because mm. did you keep going yeah we went all the way to canning which is where i'd stopped in that section i yeah. actually didn't mind it it was near that dieback um cleaning station just after that it was kind of like a like a grassy kind of plains experience which i enjoyed yeah um, which would be interesting again if to come back in winter or spring and see what the water levels were like there yeah i think it, it, i think that's when it might be interesting is mm. if it was a bit a bit flooded but not too flooded not mm. not like pingrup plains yeah level. <laughs> not not thigh deep uh water yeah because when when did you visit this area uh, it would have been june or july 2015 walking through there and it, it was okay i liked the as you say like the the swampy areas kind of of nice mm. but there's a lot of kind of standard jarrah forest yeah and i think when i visited like just before canning you could hear the drone of a dirt bike in the distance i was just like oh oh yeah actually we we heard a four-wheel drive it's 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 an area that i think is prone to because it is quite i guess away from everything Mm. people think they can get away with it and they probably do unfortunately they do yeah and then canning campsite like we just stayed there for an hour just having lunch and then we walked back it was, it was all right. It's nicely positioned. It's not like near any features that you'd go, well, you know, this is why they placed it here. But mm. I mean, it's it's a campsite. And, and it miraculously survived being burnt. It was like literally meters away the fire was from the hut mm. and it didn't didn't reach it. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a, a theme going along this section <laughs> that, yeah, Mount Dale didn't get done. Unfortunately, Brookton did, which is why it's a new style. And then, yeah, Canning fortunately did uh, survive. Mm. So moving on from there, this is one section that I'm currently planning for my sectional end-to-end next year that I haven't done, so I'll let you discuss between here and Mondanox. So we did this by breaking it up because we didn't. We were doing these as day walks, but there's a road called Marginata Road that you can use that runs between Canning and Mondanox, and we went on from there. And the walking from when you rejoined the Bibbulmun just sort of south of Canning is it's okay like it's a it's it's a lot of Jarrah forest but then what's really nice is you reach a section of virgin Jarrah that hasn't been logged before and it's near the Canning River and this is something that was really exciting for me living near the Canning River was seeing it so close to the start Mm. and there's a there's some nice granite ridges nearby and a bridge that goes across the Canning River and the Canning River actually remains remains as a permanent pool it's like a little oasis, isn't it? Yeah. From what I've read, I'm quite excited to visit this this little section. I guess when you live in in Perth and near near the Canning River or the Swan River, you don't sometimes think about where does this come from, mm. and it's really nice to see it near the start of the of of the river and get a different sense of what this river is and where it comes from. Yeah. And because you always get like stories of let's go find the source of the Nile or the Amazon or whatever, but you kind of never think that these rivers have a source up in this area where the Billman Track goes nearby. So, yeah, as you said, it's nice to kind of see them in their infancy and, you know, imagine that they then turn into these kind of wide, lazy rivers as Mm. they get closer to Perth. I'm surprised as well that they they didn't build Canning Campsite right here because that would have, I think, been really cool. Mm. Uh, It's a shame because there is is like a cul-de-sac where people have sort of been stealth camping Mm. and some of them have lit fires which they shouldn't be doing 
which is a shame because I, I see why they're doing it because it's it's a really is a lovely spot. Yeah. But they shouldn't be doing it. And then the walking from there to Monat Knox is is kind of it basically it's it's just getting you from point A to point B. Nice enough Jarrah Forest. There's some some big trees there, so it's it's nice to see. Mm. And Monat Knox is I think one of the the better campsites in the north. Would you agree? Yeah, I like where it's been positioned. I mean, we've talked about this campsite before. So if you're listening to episode five, I'm assuming you've listened yeah. <laughs> to the ones before. Yeah, up on the ridge. And it's just a shame, as we've discussed, that it doesn't. the track doesn't go over Mount Randall because I think having so much, as you describe, of that kind of, not dull and boring, but just kind of point A to point B walking, mm. to have something before Mononox to say, wow, here's some nice views, and then you stay at Mononox. Yeah, yeah. Because you like you get limited views from the campsite of what you're going to be doing the next day if you're doing um, north to south. Because I think if you give them that little teaser, it's not adding too much to the day, and you know it'd be a, a better experience for sure. Um, I think again, just like with Mount Randall, is if in, even if you had it just as a side trip, if you're coming from Canning, it's not a long day, mm-hmm. and even if you were coming f- from all the way from Brookton, if you were really trying to push it, yeah. It's quite flat, so it's not hard. And it, it's the sort of thing where if you have a bit more fuel left in the tank, you'll go, oh, well, I'll, I'll do this side trip as well. Mm. And I think that that's where they could really extend on what's already there by just going, oh, by the way, there's this other thing you can do. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, it is certainly one of the more popular campsites because mm. the access point from Sullivan Rock is only 7Ks away. So again, seeing lots of kids there, lots of families... Mm. It's got two water tanks and a nice balcony. Yeah, Look, uh, overlooking some nice Jarrah forest. I'll, I'll pay a compliment to very nice Jarrah forest. Yeah, I've done a Pilates class. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the more popular campsites, and the tent sites are scattered everywhere too. So you can kind of, even if it is busy, pick out your own little spot, and you probably won't won't know that other people are around. Yeah, and I think that's uh, Michelle Ryan from Walking 2x2. Two two. That's her favourite campsite on the whole track. Yeah, so hopefully, Michelle, we are going to have you on, so stay tuned. Then, then we move on to... The exciting part. The exciting <laughs> part, the the two mountains onto Sullivan Rock. As I've said, I love this area. Just It just feels like you're in the middle of nowhere and you have it all to yourself. You can still hear the trucks on on (laughs) Albany Highway, but tune that out and you've got the whole place to yourself. And the views are just epic. Yeah. And even just getting to uh, Mount Cuspert from Mondanox, you've got nice she-oak forest, a few big tall trees that have been felled and kind of make nice features. And they've got some rare, I think, is it the butter? There's a rare eucalypt that grows on the slopes. Okay. They're a kind of white color. that They, they kind of look a bit like wandu, but they're a buttery kind of color. Okay. I've noticed them before. I just thought they were wandu, so it's yeah. nice to know. And it's it's really nice to see. I, I like seeing different different trees on the track. And yeah, Mount Cuspert, just that rock pool area. Scatter my ashes there after I've done <laughs> Power Lines Road for you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hopefully I won't give everything cancer with my ashes. Um, but yeah, it's just great views back to Mount Dale. So you can see where you've come from, which is if you're doing an end-to-end or even just a multi-day section, it's quite um, a nice feeling knowing, oh, yeah, I was there a few days ago and now I'm here. And, you know, you can see off to Mount Cook and that's where you're going to be mm. in a day or two. 
your your thoughts because you like I rave about this section. It's nice to hear yeah, in no, more detail. I I, I totally think. agree with you that it's it's a great section. When we ran to people who had done the track up until because we when we did bailing up to Pemberton, we walked with us with the same group basically every day, mm. and it was great to hear people talking about sections that they loved. And other than than Wallach as being one of their favorite campsites. Mm. Everyone talked about how much they loved the Monadnox and Mount Cook area because they just didn't expect it in mm. a lot of ways. That I think because Perth is such a flat place, you just don't expect to see anything like this. And yeah, I know mm. it's not it's not tall by international standards, mm. but it's just really enjoyable. And I think that the track alignment through here is perfect going over the two Monadnox. Yeah, because it used the what the nineteen eighty eight version of the track went around and there's it's still a couple of Billman track markers on the four by four track that goes around. So I do like the decision that they've made to say, we're not going to go around, we're going to go over. Because definitely if I was doing that and I went around and saw those two hills, I'd be like, why can I not go up there? <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I do enjoy that it does go up there. Erin walking with Wired. Mm. Um, the American long distance hiker she's incredible at, at covering distance and she did the Bibbleman last year and I was following that quite closely I was interested to see you know you could track her progress like she's getting to this section what does she think about it and she did 43 kilometers that day <laughs> wow and she did yeah uh, Mount Cusper and Mount Vincent and Mount Cook all in one day <laughs> and didn't really say anything about how nice it was and I was just like well, how can how can you not love this area what's wrong with you I, was, yep. I think she maybe rushed it a little bit but that is her style yeah she does tend to put in the K's and sometimes obviously hike your own hike and some people really like doing that mm. but I sometimes wonder when you're pushing that many K's how much you're really taking in yeah and she had a story from when she was doing the Lara Pinta about the difference between Australians and Americans. So Australians will get to a campsite at two o'clock and put their feet up. And Americans will say, hang on, I've only done 10 miles or nine miles. I'm going to keep going. It's that difference between miles and kilometers, which I think they feel like they have to do more. Yeah. But she takes it to the extreme. Like, <laughs> she's, I mean, she's an ultralight hiker, so it's not going to be too taxing. And compared. she's a triple crowner as well. So yeah, she's got like, the experience. this is what she does. But sometimes I just want to yell at her, just like, slow down and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she actually comments about how, oh, gee, I just don't understand how people finish at two in the afternoon. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess we're probably just on different sides of the, yeah, of that argument. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, each to their own. Yeah. So yeah, then there's kind of that small valley between Mount Cuthbert and Mount Vincent. Mm. Enjoyable. If you want to and you feel inclined, um, there is a spot there that you can put a stick up against an already existing fallen tree. It kind of looks like a dinosaur skeleton. Oh, right. Every time I go past, I always remember where it is and, and add a stick to it. Like You'll notice it if you're looking out for it. Um, that would be my only comment about that section. And then you're back climbing. And it is... Coming from north to south, Mount Vincent is one of the tougher climbs. Mm, yeah. Um, a lot of people say that if they're doing Sullivan Rock to Mondanox and back, they get floored by the climb back up Mount Vincent. Mm. It is quite steep, so mm. fair enough. I like that Mount Vincent is quite different to Cuthbert mm. in that it's wildflowers and, you know, it's, the summit's less like, oh, wow, because it doesn't have that granite dome kind yeah. of top. But it's nice to see a different thing, especially if you get it at the right time of year. 
Yeah, and certainly at the top of Mount Vincent's every Anzac Day, the last three years now I've done the six summits. So I try and aim to do the top of Mount Vincent as the sun's peeking over and I kind of have my own little Anzac memorial there, which is kind of minute silence and just remember it is a quite a humbling experience actually. So yeah, if anyone <laughs> sees me up there on Anzac Day, that's where I'll be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely sunrise from Mount Vincent, very special time. Mm. Then moving on from there, we have Sullivan Rock, which is the better of the two rocks. It is. Um, and again, if anyone knows why it's called Sullivan Rock, <laughs> I don't know, there's kind of mixed information. Is it Sullivan's Rock? Is it Sullivan Rock? Google used to have it as Sullivan's Rock. I think they've changed it now to Sullivan. Yeah, it's it's a bit like, like Nancy Peak is Nancy's Peak, according mm. to some people. I think it's Nancy Peak if you look at the geography. But Yeah, I don't think it really matters. But again, it'd be nice to know who was Sullivan and what did he do. Yeah. And it's it should be noted this is actually a side trail. It's not actually on the Bibbleman proper. Mm. But it used to be part of the Bibbleman back in 1988. Because it used to, weirdly... Even though there's the tallest mountain in the Darling Scarp just there, it used mm. to go, nah, we'll take you away from that, across the road, and we'll take you some other, other place. You don't need to see that. So that means it would have skipped all three. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Thank you to whoever decided to change that. Yes, I think uh, probably Jesse Brampton. Yeah. We owe him a bit of a debt of gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice thing, especially if you come from the car park, I think, and you just don't expect it because it, it's sort of blocked off by this wall of trees. Mm. And then it's just like, wow, there's this huge granite dome that you walk over. Mm. And, you know, you've got the rock pools and the nice views off to Mount Cook. Again, sunrise, amazing. Mm. Go and see it. And not a bad spot, actually, for astrophotography because it is quite open where you are and the light pollution isn't that much. It's a little bit towards Jarradale, but, again not too much you'd still see the stars quite clearly mm. and there's that i think you took an iconic photo of you it looks like there's light coming from your mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was my first ever attempt i'm quite yeah quite happy with that but yeah that was a nice night that was that was a balmy summer's night and i was at the dog beach and i was meant to go the previous night but there was thunderstorms and i was like oh it was still thunderstorms on sunday i'd been to the dog beach and then it just it cleared up and I was just like right I'm going dropped the dog off gave her a quick shower and then like raced out there just got there by sunset so I could see what I was doing and then just waited in like t-shirt and shorts just about 25 degrees it was just so pleasant mm. that was probably one of the better experiences I've had on the trail even though I wasn't hiking yeah yeah <laughs> a nice night then from there, you know, you get that savannah kind of area, mm. which I know you're a big fan of. I do. You? I want to build a hut out there, but <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me. Yeah, I mean, it's not intriguing walking, but, it, you know, devil's in the detail of that's mm. what you enjoy, then you can certainly pick out certain areas like I do. I like the amount of sundews in that area. It seems to be sundew central. Yeah, and you do get some that are that nice candy apple mm. colour. I just, yeah, I love that that kind of sundew. mm and I think another, an interesting thing about Mount Cook is that there are two campsites. That's something that sometimes people are a bit thrown by when mm. they first, if they haven't known that there were two, yeah. they go, what is this? This looks nothing like a Bibbulmun track shelter. Yeah. And it isn't, but kind of to me, it's not in a good way. It's very cold and like it's a concrete floor and it's designed for large groups. So you kind of have to make allowances to fit people in. But it's just, yeah, a large, I don't, 
from memory it's not even enclosed on three sides is it no it's just like kind of a roof and yeah. one wall um again i would not choose to stay there but no but it certainly can cater to large groups yep and the, the toilets are more deluxe let's we'll say that they yeah. are so yeah <laughs> if you need to go walk to 500 meters <laughs> and you don't like the billman style uh toilets then yeah yep. definitely visit that campsite but definitely Mount Cook, I think, is one of the, again, one of the nice campsites on the track. It is. Because it's a nice resting point before you have to do that climb. Um, and if you're staying the night, you can kind of see it a little bit in the distance and psych yourself up to it. Mm. But it is that nice, like, open area. And then the tent sites are kind of under the canopy. So, you know, it doesn't feel as open. And again, yeah, that was affected by the 2003 bushfires. So the remnants of the old water tank are still there. And there's a little plaque saying what happened to the area um so it's nice to have that history still there yeah and then we've got one of our favorites mount cook mount cook yeah so at what 572 meters or 582 yeah it's something just shy of 600 yeah i mean it's from mount cook campsite it's still a fair distance vertically it's a 270 meter climb Mm. a little bit of that is kind of as you go on the the flattish section so you cover it off but once you start climbing you do get nice views back to mount vincent mount cuthbert and the climbing actually isn't too bad it's not a big gradient but if you're not an experienced hiker you'll probably need to stop a few times and there are nice granite outcrops for you to stop out and take in some views yeah i think what makes mount cook such a great part of the track is that it's not just a peak it's a ridge mm. and that the fact that you have to walk along the ridge gives it that little bit of adventure because it's not just like up and down and I'm done especially because what comes after is not that exciting yeah but the fact that you spend you know a fair while on the ridge is what really makes it worthwhile and when you see it as you're driving down Albany Highway it does look quite impressive mm. it certainly looks like a mountain yeah should do um, and if you're only doing it to reach the summit then I yeah suggest you keep going because once you reach the summit it's, it's terribly disappointing mm. it's a rock can with a, a star picket in it and you can't really see anything so definitely explore the ridge because it's one of the nicer aspects to mount cook yep and it made both of our top five it when did. we talked about day walks in perth yeah and for good reason i mean it's mm. the tallest and also there's a lot a lot of variety up there too yep now after mount cook unfortunately is some less exciting yep. sections so i'll leave you to talk about this because <laughs> this between here and, and albany highway is on my to-do list so off you go yep <laughs> so you cross Powerline road my favorite road yeah and then you enter an area that seems to be depot's favorite place to do control burns and it's very obvious that it's their favorite <laughs> and they've started doing more i just they just, just stick a permanent sign up saying please call this number because <laughs> there's probably going to be a control burn there. Literally every year, I think for the last four years, they've had a control burn there. And I'm not even exaggerating because I remember 2015 there was one because mm. we, we were going to walk uh, from Powerline Road to North Bannister. Mm. Couldn't do it because there was a burn. 16, we did it. Earlier in the year, there was, a, there was a control burn. Later in the year, there was one, but we were able to do it. This year, again, there was one. And there was one at the start of the year and one here. Yeah. It must be the most fire-prone section of the in the whole world, yeah. based on how much control burning they're doing in that area. Unless they hold their like staff parties out there and have huge <laughs> bonfires. But yeah, I, again, I don't understand why. 
the it, need is there. It's either that or they're duking the stats. So like it's like oh it, a six year average of of, of yeah. burn, and it's like well no, this is six months, so that helps average out the ones they haven't done for a while. But mm. I yeah I just don't get it because when you're walking there, it's so horribly boring. They they say in one section that you pass through the the best stand of Wandu Creek systems and on the whole track. Mm. There are better Wandu sections, you know, near near Walik and Helena. Mm. And it, it was just very disappointing to see that. And it doesn't even go near the creek. So you see the creek running to the left of the track and you think, Oh yeah, I see some Wandu here. But it doesn't go to the creek and especially with how dry the sort of the Darling Scarp area is becoming, mm. it makes it just very frustrating when you can see that there's something here that's at least a little bit exciting yeah. but it's off the track yeah and it's basically like that all the way to to um north banister yeah it, it's it's one of those sections we did it in one hit i think it was like 26 or 27 k's mm. just trying to just smash it out and we, we walked really fast yeah but only because we really needed to just get it finished yeah and i've also heard it's one of the worst areas um in this section for ticks as well, especially around the Rang um, campsite. Yeah, there's a lot of kangaroos, and it's probably what attracts them. Mm. What was nice is we saw a lot of black cockatoos in this area, so that was something that. Yeah, because they they really need the habitat. Yes. Which makes it weird that they're still burning <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Yeah, so that that was something that was nice, but it's one of the low lights of of an otherwise really enjoyable section. Yeah. So we then hit Albany Highway and there will used to be a three kilometer spur trail in there to North Bannister, but North Bannister for reasons we don't quite know is closed and yet it, to be opened. It looks like they've finally done some work because the, the petrol bowsers have been replaced. Okay. So there the the spur is there, but whether it leads to anything at the moment, nothing. But yeah. hopefully in the next few months, they might finish the work. Yeah, because North Bannister for me always used to be, when we went, um, our friends had a, a country property out in um, a place called Popaninning, and North Bannister was always, that's the turn off. You turn left and, you know, you're halfway there. So it's quite sad that it closed down for a long time. And mm. I know certainly with this section being the longest town-to-town section, that was an important refuel stop. And, mm. like, the first time you could really... I'm going to get a burger or... And the burgers are good yeah. as well. <laughs> so I'm happy that there's finally some good news and maybe some action mm. in North Manchester. But yeah, moving on, there is the not quite that interesting walk up to Boonering Hill and then obviously Whitehorse Hills mm. beyond that. But yeah, it's just kind of what, like a three, four kilometer stretch right next to a blue gum plantation. Yeah. If you could put like a blinker on your left side, <laughs> it's it's not bad. And again, like like that's the border of the state forest and the blue gum plantation. Move the trail fifty meters inwards. Like walk yeah. straight through it. I don't understand why you need to go along that four by four track. Because I mean, it's it's given it's not pine plantation, which is again not great on the eye. It looks too uniform. It just it does something to me, and I just I don't like the uniformity of it. It just creeps me out. Yeah. It kind of looks like a simulacra or like a fake version of the yeah. forest. <laughs> and you can tell it's like after walking through Jarrah and Wandu and everything, like it's not native to WA. Yeah. And you, you, it just, it's out of place. Once we become trail masters of everything, <laughs> <laughs> we'll move that trail in. But once you get past that area, it is 
back into yeah the granite hills and mountains and it's actually quite nice boonering hill again another side track that's not marked but is counted towards the kilometers yeah but yet is kind of unclear because i know people who have walked past it and didn't realize oh it's like i didn't know where to turn yeah because that was i visited there just as a day walk so that was my turnaround point so i was watching out for where would a, a trail go and yeah i mean it's quite obvious once you're there but again doesn't take much to say Boonering Hill this way mm. um, on a, a trail marker. Like, it's not that much shorter than Mount Cook. But um, yet somehow is a hill. <laughs> yeah, is a hill rather than a mountain. But it does offer 360-degree views. Mm-hmm. Some of the views aren't that fantastic because you're looking at... A mine. A mine, Boddington Gold Mine. And then you do have to look at the plantation again. <laughs> and there is a salvage area, which I found out in my last trip down south... Um, yeah, I thought it was some kind of mine or industrial area, but it's a salvage area. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not, not pleasant on the ice, but my tip is just to look back towards Mount Cook. Yeah. It, it gives off that kind of mini Sterling Range vibe to me because the peaks are just out of nowhere, basically, and you know surrounded by forested area. And I love that bit when you just climb up and it's all cracked, like it's like a tessellated kind of pattern. Yeah, you can kind of see, like, yeah, Zeus's bolts have hit that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fractured. <laughs> Yeah, when we visited, um, we've got a mutual friend um, with the group that I, I went out with and we, well, we all commented, you know, Casey would love to see this because Casey's a geologist. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll get her out one time and she can uh, tell us what caused that and what forces did it. And this is where I, I leave my experience. <laughs> so again, back to you for the trip out to Whitehorse Hills and beyond. And then, yeah, from, from Boonering Hill, there's some quite nice sections of Wandu as well because you you walk across a ridge then you walk down into a valley and it there there was a waterhole that's supposed to be there permanently all year round and we did it in June this year mm. and it was horrifying to see that it was bone dry well we had a horrible start to this winter though June was like warm and dry yeah. and yeah that's terrible for you. <laughs> and I was just like oh my god what have we done this permanent waterhole's dry global warming <laughs> but uh, but the walking at the top is really nice with um with Wandu and then down below it's more sort of Jarrah and it was okay I'll say you know it wasn't as bad as some other sections of the track mm. But there were some sections that were quite badly burnt and it was a bit hard to follow the track because when, when things are, are burnt to that point where it was just ash, everywhere looks like it could be the trail. Mm. But thankfully there were some tape markers around yeah. to kind of make it easy to follow. There was like a bit where they had a, a dieback cleaning station that had been completely burnt out. And I went, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll just brush my boot against this tree here and the tree just disintegrated yeah. under my feet. <laughs> but then I think... The, the campsite at Whitehorse Hills is a nice nice spot. There's some nice big trees around there and nice tent sites. And if you're looking for firewood, there's a lot of, of different areas you can get things from around the area. So it's, it's mm. a good spot for a campsite. And the next day I really like, which is from Whitehorse Hills to Mount Wells. On the day that we did it, they were doing some controlled burns. And I'll say one thing about this, is, which is nice, is that everything was nice and foggy. <laughs> So we were walking through this this forest and there were a lot of spider webs everywhere and there was just this lovely mist. Mm. And I took a photo of it and it was actually one of the photos on our Instagram mm. page has had one of the most amount of likes we've had because people were like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, go back and look at this now. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was really nice. And then closer to the White Horse Hills, there's this massive granite boulder that's just sitting there. Mm. 
and you go across these other granite um, sort of peaks. And it's just really lovely. I think that the walk from Whitehorse Hills and beyond for the next, I think, three or four Ks is really excellent. And I feel like the Whitehorse Hills section is a bit of a reprise of the Vincent Cuthbert Cook Darling Scarp kind of feel. Mm. And it's really nice to see these again. And then going down from there, you go into a valley and walk through more Jarrah Forest. But Alyssa and I felt that this particular area was actually one of our favorite bits of Jarrah Forest on the track because it was actually really enjoyable and pleasant walking. There was quite an open understory. Mm. And is, is that because maybe it hadn't been burnt out in quite a while? It might have been. <laughs> Left alone to its own devices and voila, Jarrah Forest is actually enjoyable. Yeah, it was, it was actually really nice to walk through there. And it was a nice day where you get the slightly more difficult walking at the start, mm. easy in the middle. And then later on in the day, there's this very steep ascent towards Mount Wells. Mm. And one of the things I really like about Mount Wells is that it is the actual only hut on the track. Yeah. Um, it's a four-wall building that was used by fire towermen. Yeah. And it's actually quite a nice building. I've heard some people say that they find it eerie or they find it not nice, but I like it. Yeah, there was one post on the Billman Track group where a guy asked about ghosts or spooky experiences because I think he'd had like a, an eerie night stay at, at Mount Wells. I mean, it just depends what your mindset is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested to stay there just to see what it's like. But after camping out in the open, basically... I wouldn't know how an end-to-ender would go staying there. Because there's something about four walls is you're trapped, whereas having an open shelter, mm. you at least know that it's open. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. I, I think it, I found it really enjoyable to have as a different experience. I think that they've done a good job with it, and they've recently expanded the veranda on the outside. Because I think before it was basically just like, you're inside or you're outside, and that's it. Yeah. Whereas now you, we, we all sat around outside... There is a table inside, but it's not really nice to sit inside. Like, I think it's quite nice to sleep inside for a change because you don't have to worry about mosquito nets or anything yeah. like that. But I think it's great that they've they've made a feature of it. Yeah, it's certainly something different and it mixes it up. And another feature that is there is the, um, the old fire tower, which mm. you have your reservations about. Actually, no, you don't, sorry. You actually enjoy that because you do get to go up at least halfway. I enjoy going up halfway, but I feel like it could go all the way. Yeah, that, that's where the reservation is. <laughs> because the problem is you can't really see beyond it. It's like, it's a nice effort, guys, mm. but I really can't see beyond And especially since this was used as a fire lookout, it wouldn't have been hard to have just built it a little bit higher. Mm. But one of the things that is nice about that area up the top there is that there's a lot of banks here. So there's a lot of birds mm. and it's very pretty. Um, but yeah, I wish that the lookout, because the Banksia blocks the lookout and the lookout, if it was a bit higher, would have been fantastic. Then from there, it's, it's okay walking. You walk down the hill and mm. it's a long stretch of Jarrah Forest. It kind of, I guess, is a preview of what's to come. Yeah. Leading beyond Dwelling Up. But the walk into Dwelling Up, I think is quite nice. Like there's a long stretch of forest walking leading up to Chadura, which is okay. It's enjoyable enough, but it's just very repetitive and the same. Chidura, on the other hand, I think is a really fantastic hut. I think of, of the huts in the, the Jarrah Forest, mm. I think is one of my favourites. We didn't actually stay there, but I wish we had because it was a really lovely spot where it's located. There's like an old well nearby that, that 
doesn't look that exciting, but it's okay. And there's a <laughs> something to look at. <laughs> it's something to look at, and it's a marked side trail. Like I can't oh. believe this is marked, but yeah. then some of the other things aren't. That's odd. And but there's a stream nearby, and it's really well located. It's one of the the, the deep south huts as mm. well. So it's a really great place to stay. I, I like those. They're, they're probably my favorite style. I think. Yeah, I do enjoy them as well. And then from there, the walk. You walk up to the Inglehop Railway Crossing, and the, the railway crossing onwards, I think, is actually quite a nice walk. You walk past, which I think is, it might actually be mature blue gums or some kind of tree, mm. but it's not been planted in such a, a perfectly straight way, and mm. it actually is quite nice to walk past the railway line. And then you see the old Inglehop Railway Station, and if you go on a Saturday or a Sunday, you'll see yeah. the Hotham Valley train coming past which is a nice kind of different thing to see it is um yeah i've been on that train with my niece before and it's it's i like the old steam trains it'd be nice if it followed if the track followed the railway back into town yeah um if you get to see that a bit more often if you pick the right day Mm. so i think it'd be a nice experience on either side having seeing a train go by and waving to everyone and also being on the train and seeing some hikers and oh yeah there's people out here enjoying nature that's that's nice yeah when we i think when we did it we were lucky to see that train come past and it it kind of goes nearish to the railway line but you really have to time it like if you're there at the right time you'll be lucky and you'll get to have that mm. you know waving at the passengers and they'll yeah. wave back at you but if you're not there at the right time then you'll you'll miss out on that yeah. experience and then from there, you walk through the back streets, which are kind of unsealed roads, and you're in Dwelling Up, which I think is one of the more trail-friendly trail towns. Mm. They've really made a really good effort to foster trails as a community and, and bring people to the town. Which is, yeah, the future. Uh, so it certainly helps with Dwelling Up to have lane pool reserves so close, so people actually will drive through Dwelling Up to get there. But they have opened a new trail. I mean, it's a family-friendly urban trail but at least they've seen that trails are the future so i think it starts and finishes at the blue wren cafe which is an amazing place to eat yes definitely if you're going passing through the town visit blue wren cafe yeah i think every time we've done a day hike in the area we've eaten there yeah same same here it's just a different menu it's not just the same staples that you get at a pub or a normal cafe they actually sounds like they put a lot of thought into their menu um, yeah come up with quite a bit of variety too and their 10 on a plate is really good yeah recommended i recommend it but then i I think if you have a choice go and sit in the restaurant because the food that they have is always interesting and always delicious and very often gluten-free yeah i found that as well i was looking at some of the options i was like oh a lot of gfs and v's and everything which you don't expect from a country cafe yeah good on them and that's the Darling Scarp section. Yeah, so it's probably one of our longer pods. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Just because it is one of the longer sections. How long end-to-end would that be? 16. 16 it's actually 16 days. Days? 16 shelters. So, yeah, 16 shelters. So you'd probably double shelter a couple of times on there? Yeah, I think... Probably three I've, or four times. I've had some people disagree. I know... Jacko said that he wouldn't double to to Wallach, hmm. but I think that I would probably double all the way through to I guess Canning maybe, yeah. and then from there start to to single it because they start getting well not so much that it's harder like I think Monet Knox to Mount Cook's not overly difficult but I'd like to have the time to enjoy it yeah so I probably would do it as a single day 
Yeah, because you'd probably aim between, what, 15 and 20-odd Ks a day, and a lot of them are spaced out 10 kilometers apart, so they're really short days. I mean, it is quite hilly in some of those areas, but again, 20 Ks for a hiker is, shouldn't be too much. Mm. So let's just say between 11 and 14 days for that section. Yeah. I've seen some hardcore people say, oh, I've done it in six or seven, but they would be the exception, I think, to the yeah. rule. I mean, it just, again, comes down to what you enjoy. If you enjoy doing the big Ks, then good on you. But again, if you want to slow down, nothing wrong with that as well. Yep, definitely. So we'll be doing the Billman track in sections. We've got eight to go now. Um, we'll definitely cover off a lot of them over the summer um, and then kind of alternate between a couple of podcasts on specific topics and then come back to the Billman. Yeah. And hopefully we might get some guests in as well to give yeah. us a bit of, bit of a different perspective than just Mark and I talking about it. Definitely will, because I haven't done um, a fair few sections, so um, definitely guests uh, to counter Donovan's discussion topics yes especially my <laughs> my hatred of Jarrah. yeah we'll get we'll get the lady in who quite enjoys Jarrah forest and you two can go at it <laughs> but again and coming back to if you have questions to send in for a q a pod um, find us on instagram or facebook or realtrailtalk at gmail.com thank you for listening and we'll be back in two weeks